The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the God. This is Lord's word. Thanks, Paul. God, us again, and then we can get started. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us, help us to listen, Help us to listen and do your word as well. Father, we pray that you would make us uh, trust you, trust in your son who is our rock, who is our cornerstone. And we pray this for his sake so that we would love him more and we'd know him better. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I was in primary school, uh, I was quite a well-rounded kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think the polite word for it is like rotund. So, you know, so after a while, you know, I, I used to get teased quite a lot for it through primary school. And uh, my nickname in primary school was Garfield. <laughs> you know, so at first, it's funny, you, you, you hear Garfield, you, say, yeah, you laugh along with it. But after a while, it, it, it tends to rub on you a bit. It tends to grate. And after a while of being called Garfield, you kind of feel a bit left out. You kind of, you know, the kids make you feel as if you don't belong. Like, uh, you're not like them because you are a lot more than them. <laughs> So after a while, you kind of, you know, I, I kind of began to feel sort of semi-rejected by the people around me because I was round and plenty. You know, uh, you know I think some of us can relate to this, this idea of uh, being rejected. You know, this is a bit of a funny story, a childhood story, but some of us maybe have suffered different forms of rejection that have hurt us. It could be a uh, application for a job that falls through, a job that you really want, and then you reject it. It could be a school that you, you really want to enroll in, but your application fails and, and you don't make it into that school. And sometimes rejection can be even more painful, right? Uh, we enter into a community, we try to make friends, but people seem really cold towards us, and we're left out. You know, we, don't, we feel that we don't fit in, that we don't belong. You know, we feel that rejection. In some cases, even more painful than that, we have loved ones and friends who, who we think are close friends. Maybe they've let us down. Maybe they've betrayed our trust. Uh, maybe they've rejected us for whatever reason. 
and we feel the pain of that rejection. And we, I think we've all experienced to some extent the, the hurt of being rejected. Does God care? Does God know the pain of rejection? Now, this psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 118, uh, the writer of this psalm suffers the pain of rejection as well. Now, we don't know who the psalmist is. This psalm doesn't tell us. You know, some people think it's David, but we can't say for sure. It doesn't say. And when you read Psalm 118, it, it is a very personal testimony. And the psalmist tells us about his troubles, and the psalmist also tells us about how God has turned his life around. And he shares his story with us to encourage us, to give us hope. You know, it's Christmas time, and in Christmas time, we all like messages of hope. Right? You don't have to be a Christian to, to, to get into the spirit of the season, where the season is characterized by hope. And this psalm is a very appropriate psalm to think about at Christmas time, because this is a message of hope. As the psalmist looks back on how God has saved him, and he encourages us with this message. But this psalm does more than just look back on the past deliverance. This psalm also looks forward, points forward. Now, in this Advent season, we've been going through a series of royal or messianic psalms. You know, the series started with Psalm 2, where we heard about how we need to submit to God's King. And after that, we heard from Psalm 22 about how this king was God-forsaken for the sake of God's people. And just last week, we heard from Psalm 24 about how this king is holy and this king alone, this, he's, he's worthy to bring us into God's very presence. Right? He opens the gates. The gates open for him as he comes into God's presence. This week, we're going to look at Psalm 118 and think more about what this coming king is like. You know, this psalm tells us that this coming one will suffer and be rejected, but this coming one will ultimately triumph in glory. You know, psalm 118 tells us about the king of turnarounds. Right? We all like a good turnaround story. You know, if you watch any Christmas movie, they're all good turnaround stories. Right? How it starts out with trouble, but it ends with a good ending. You know, even Hollywood with all its violence and gore, during Christmas time, you know, it sort of cleans up and it puts out all these really nice, family-friendly turnaround movies like Home Alone. <laughs> so today, we, we get to hear a really good turnaround story about this king of turnarounds. And there's no better way to celebrate Christmas than to get to know this king who can really turn our lives around. So I just want to highlight three encouragements from this psalm as we work through this psalm together this morning. Number one, give thanks to the Lord. It's obvious, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 118 really is the last psalm in a group of psalms from 113 to 118. So according to custom, the Jews at Passover time, you know, when they celebrate the Passover meal that commemorates uh, God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, but when the Jews gathered for Passover, they would sing these psalms, 113 to 118. So maybe some of us have, you know, because we don't sing the psalms as much, maybe we've, we've lost the, the sense that these are meant to be sung. These are the, this really is the praise book of the people of God, the song book of the people of God. So the Jews would sing 
Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 as they remember the Passover, as they remember God's deliverance. What's this psalm about? If you look at verse 1 and verse 29, what do you notice? They are the same, right? Verse 1 and verse 29 are exactly the same. Uh, this, this statement, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. This statement bookends the psalm. Right? It brackets the whole psalm and it tells us this really is what the, this is what the psalm is about. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. It starts with it and it ends with it. This psalm calls us to give thanks to the Lord. Why? For, for who He is and then for what He has done. Now, who is God? According to this psalm, who, who is God? The psalmist says He is the Lord. You know, that, that all caps word, Lord which really is his covenant name. You know, this is the name that God uses to refer to himself when he kept his promise to deliver Israel from Egypt. You know, Moses comes to him and says, well, what, you know, who shall I say that you are? And, and the Lord says, I am who I am. I'm the Lord, gracious and merciful. This is, this is the name that speaks of his faithfulness, that speaks of how he's trustworthy, that, that speaks of how he is true to his people. And what is the Lord like? What is this covenant Lord like? The psalmist says, the Lord is good. You now, good is such a rich term. I mean, sometimes we say, you know, that's good, that's good. But, but when the psalmist says the Lord is good, you know, it, it, it's, it's a deep, rich term that speaks of who this God is, what he's like. He is good. Remember what Jesus says? There's no one good but God himself. Right? That, that's, that's what it means when he says the Lord is good. And this is the basic reason why we give thanks to him. It's not just because of what he has done, but we give thanks to him because of who he is. He is good. You know, at Christmas time, uh, our, our kids get presents. And, and one of the things that we're trying to sort of instruct our kids about, both Zach and Ian, is that what matters more is not the present that you get, but it's the person who is giving you that gift. What, what matters is the relationship that you have with that person who's giving you that gift. Otherwise, just, if we're just thankful for the gift, that makes us quite mercenary, right? We, we like someone because he gives us good things. And if he doesn't give us good things, maybe we don't like him as much. Right? But, but this psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, not because he gives us nice things, but fundamentally give thanks to the Lord because He is good. He is good. And when we give thanks to the Lord in this way, it shows that we have a real relationship with this covenant Lord because we know Him for who He is and we're thankful for that. So we're not just using Him to get stuff. We're really grateful for Him. And how is the Lord good? Psalmist goes on to say His his steadfast love, or the, the Hebrew word is hesed. His, his hesed endures forever. And, and the word hesed is, is really hard to translate into English. If you look at different English translations, uh, it, it, it renders it in several ways. You know, steadfast love, kindness, faithfulness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, and, and so on. You know, that, that's how rich 
this description of God is, his hesed endures forever. You know, hesed, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great expression of God's love, but not just a kind of, sort of flippant, shallow love. This is love and loyalty. Both come together perfectly. Love and loyalty, hesed. Because he's entered into a covenant relationship with his people. In fact, this hesed is meant to be reflected by us, God's people, in our relationships with one another. God calls us as his people to reflect this kind of hesed, this kind of love and loyalty to one another in our marriages, in our parenting, in our friendships, in the church with one another. We're called to reflect this hesed because God is hesed, his steadfast love endures forever. You know, and that statement, his steadfast love endures forever, if you look down at verses 1 to 4, it, it, it's repeated four times in the first four verses of this psalm. Why? Why the repetition? I think it's because we need constant reminders. God's people need constant reminders of his love and faithfulness. You know, tough times can shake our confidence in God. Tough times can make us feel as though God doesn't care. and make us feel as if He's far away and it makes us, tough times can make us doubt His love for us. And because of that, instead of trusting God, we end up trusting in other things. When tough times come, we run to other sources of hope, we run to other sources of comfort instead of turning to the one who is full of hesed, steadfast love. And this psalm reminds us right at the beginning that whatever our circumstances, God's steadfast love endures forever. Now, God's love for His people is a never-ending, never-giving-up kind of love. His love is a love that will never let us go. Friends, do we know this God who is full of steadfast love? Do we know Him personally? not just know about Him, but we know Him. Have we personally experienced His goodness and His, and His steadfast love? Has His love melted our hard hearts to worship Him, to give ourselves to Him? And if we know this God of steadfast love, then do we treat one another with the same steadfast love that we've received from Him? You know, one thing you notice about these first few verses in the Psalms that thanksgiving loves company. Right? What does the psalmist do? You know, he calls people to come, right? Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let, let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. You know, it, it's so true. You know, when, when, you have, when you receive good news, when, when you've experienced love, and deliverance and rescue, oftentimes the first thing you want to do is to tell someone else. Right? That, that's your instinct, right? And that's exactly what's happening in this psalm. This, this psalmist has received God's steadfast love and he, he can't wait to tell the people around him, hey, come, come and say with me, give thanks because the Lord is good. The psalmist calls the rest of God's people to give thanks with him, Israel, Aaron, the house, the house of Aaron and those who fear the Lord. You know, thanksgiving is contagious. It, it, it spreads 
through the people of God. You know, when, when one person gives thanks, the people around that person give thanks as well, and it just spreads. You know, I've seen this happen right before my eyes at the monthly prayer meeting. You know, some, there's a segment in our prayer meeting where you know, we, we say, okay, let's, let's just pause right now and open up the time for thanksgiving. Anyone, who has, thank, anyone has thanksgivings to share? You know, so usually that segment starts very slowly. You know, the, that, that the invitation is made and there's just silence. Right? Maybe like a minute or so of awkward silence where everyone just sits there, you know, kind of look, looking at one another. And then one brave soul steps forward and says, yeah, I want to thank God for this. And, and it, it, it spreads. It spreads. It's contagious after that. You know, this person gets up. I want to thank God for this. Shortly after that, another person says, hey, I also want to thank God for this. Then after that, a third person comes up and says, hey, I also want to thank God for this. Thanks for reminding me about how God is good. And before you know it, most of the people in that prayer meeting are just giving thanks to God. That's what the psalmist wants to see among the people of God. One person starts giving thanks and it spreads. And before you know it, the whole people of God are giving thanks. That's how thanksgiving is contagious and that's why we gather on Sundays. We gather here not to just have our private worship experience. We don't just gather because it's a thing to do, but we gather because we need encouragement from one another to give thanks to God. So sometimes, you ever had this experience, you come on Sundays and it's really, really hard to sing the songs. Maybe you've had a rough week and we look at the songs on the slide, you think, ah, I can't sing that. You know, I, I, those words seem very unrelatable because of the week that I've had. So you, so, you, so you stand there, you don't sing. And then you hear the people around you, right? You hear the voices. And then that begins to stir in your heart. And, and you begin to give thanks to God as well, even though you've had a really rough week. That's what it means. Let's give thanks together. This is why we gather as God's people to encourage one another, to remind one another of how He's good, how His steadfast love endures forever. Because some of us lose sight of that during the week. And we come because we need this fresh reminder. Because what kind of culture do we live in? Friends, let's be honest. What kind of culture do we live in? We live in a complaining culture. Right? We, you, you enter the week tomorrow and you are confronted with complaints. We Singaporeans complain about everything. We complain when the weather is too hot, we complain when the weather is too cold, we complain about traffic, we complain about the MRT, why it's two, two minutes late. We complain about our parents, we complain about our children, we complain about our schools, our workplaces, our bosses, our jobs. And, and sad to say, this culture of complaining has seeped into our hearts, even in the church. We complain about why this or that isn't working, we complain about why this or that isn't done in a certain way. We complain about one another to one another. What's the remedy? You know, what, what undermines this culture of complaining? Thanksgiving. You know, it's not rocket science. It's, it's thanksgiving. It's to have our hearts filled with thanksgiving. So when was the last time we really gave thanks to the Lord? Even in times of trouble. What do we give thanks to God for? Now, this is a giving thanks to the Lord. It's, 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 it's a way in which we as God's people can show how distinct we are from the world. It's by thanksgiving. 
Now, if you look at Romans 1, you know, that, that chapter on human sin, you know, what, what's, what's that fundamental sin that Paul calls out people on? Though they knew God, they did not give thanks to Him as God. That, that's how fundamental thanksgiving is. And when we fail to give thanks, we resemble, more like, we, we resemble the world more than we do God's people. God's people are characterized by thanksgiving. Giving thanks to the God who is good. So that's the first encouragement. Give thanks to the Lord. The second one is the Lord is our help in times of trouble. Now in verses 5 to 13 of our psalm, the psalmist speaks of the trouble he faced. And you know, he, he describes his trouble in very vivid ways. He was in distress and anguish. That's five. He felt overwhelmed by his difficulties. In verses 10 to 12, you know, the word surrounded is repeated three times. And with each mention, it seems to get worse and worse. You know, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded on every side. Surrounded like bees, you know, like, like a fire among thorns. You know, the situation seems to get worse and worse. And he says, all nations, verse 10, all nations, referring to the hostility of this fallen world, all nations, feels like the whole world is against him, against God's people. And he feels the, the difficulty of living in a fallen world. Right? He feels, the, he experiences the brokenness of living in a fallen world. And maybe some of us can relate to that even this past week. We've experienced the, how broken this world is, maybe in our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships. We've experienced how fallen this world can be. And the psalmist says, I, I was pushed hard. And he even says, I was falling. Right? This sense of, of loss of control, this sense of distress, of, of helplessness even. I was falling. You know, the, the, the psalmist is very honest and open in talking about his struggles. And he doesn't he doesn't hide his weakness. He doesn't hide his problems. He doesn't downplay the severity of his suffering. You know, the, the Psalms are not this dressed-up book of praise songs. The Psalms are raw and honest. Why? Because this is the experience of the people of God in its honesty, in its struggle. This is our experience, friends. The, the Bible speaks transparently about the reality of pain and suffering in the lives of God's people. And, and, and it does that to, to encourage us, to help us realize that we, we don't have to suffer in silence. If we are the people of God, we too can speak honestly about our own struggles to God as well as to one another. We can say things like, I was pushed hard, I was falling. Psalm 103 reminds us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why? Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Friends, God knows our struggles and our weaknesses. We can come to him. We can ask him for help. We can call on the Lord which is what the psalmist does in verse 5. I, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me. 
So who or what do we trust when trials come? What's our first source of refuge and comfort and strength? Is it Netflix? <laughs> who do we turn to for help? You know, like a catchy song, this, this, you know, sometimes we hear catchy songs and you know, that there's a repeated refrain in the song that you know, just gets into our head and, and we can't stop humming it because it's so catchy. This psalm has these this repeated refrains as well because this psalmist wants to get these truths into our head. There are three repeated refrains in the midst of this psalm. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. Verse 6 and 7. Second one, it is better to take refuge in the Lord. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. The third refrain, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Like, like choruses, these refrains are meant to kind of be remembered by us, to be memorized by us as we read this psalm. So, the Lord is on my side. Verse 6 and 7, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think almost, I would say probably all of us, all of us struggle with this one fear. That's the fear of man. All of us. We all struggle with the fear of man. What does it, what does it mean to fear man? Do you care about what people say about you? Do you care about what people think about you? Do you, do you feel like you, you go through your days trying to seek the approval of people around you? Trying to seek their acceptance? Trying to belong? Trying to fit in? Do, do you feel as, as, as though you, you can't, you're not quite comfortable unless you get affirmation and recognition from others, whether it's your family, your parents, your children, your boss at the workplace, even people at church, you're not quite satisfied unless people affirm that, hey, you're good, <laughs> you want recognition. Now that's what it looks like to fear man, right? We kind of live off the approval of others. And when others withdraw their approval from us, we feel terrible, we feel rejected, we feel lost. And all of us fear man in this way, in varying degrees. What does the psalmist say? The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? The worst man can do is kill me, perhaps. What can man do to me? Now, the, the, this is the remedy for the fear of man. It's to know that the Lord is on our side. If we are in Christ, we can be assured that He accepts us. Now, whose, whose approval matters ultimately? We only need the approval of one person. You know, it, it simplifies life, right? You know, it, it, when you go through life, you just need to know that you only need to please one person. It, it simplifies your life tremendously. The only approval that matters is the approval of God Himself. And, and if, if we are in Christ, friends, we have His approval because we are in Christ. And, and God accepts us he approves of us, not because we are good people ourselves, but because Christ has secured our justification. We are approved in Him. And we can go through life secure, knowing that God is on our side.
Friends, this, this is the remedy for our fear of man. The second encouragement, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man or trust in princes. So the says, if you don't have to fear man, then neither should we put our trust and confidence ultimately in man. You know, princes represent human power, abilities, wisdom, wealth. And in times of trouble, you know, these things are really tempting to trust in, right? Human cleverness, you know, we make a plan, we try to solve our problems, take things into our own hands. But the psalmist says it is better to take refuge in the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm convicted by this as well, because sometimes when, when problems come in my life, I find that my first instinct is to go make a plan, is <laughs> to kind of get busy uh, trying to solve, troubleshoot, trying to solve my problem, uh, trying to work, work out a plan that gets me out of trouble. But this psalmist says, no, no, wait, stop. Take refuge in the Lord. You know, go to Him. Pray, ask Him. You know, come, come before Him honestly and ask Him for help. You know, it, it, God invites us to run to Him for refuge because it is better to trust Him. He will never fail us. Another refrain, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Now, why should we trust God? It's because He is the one who fights and wins the victory for us. You know, his right hand, His power, His authority, thus valiantly, He saves. He saves us. And verse 10 to 12 says, we are saved in the name of the Lord, not, our, not of our own doing, not because of our cleverness or the well-put-together plans that we've put in place. Rather, we're saved in the name of the Lord. Salvation belongs to Him. Now, this psalmist has gone through trials and he's learned these things about God through his trials. And trials teach us to rely on God. Trials are brought into our lives by a loving Father to bring us to an end of ourselves so that we find our strength in Him, not in ourselves. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul speaks of trials in this way. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, he says in 2 Corinthians, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our trials are opportunities for God to display His grace and power to save. As the psalm says, He is our strength and our song. Now, God doesn't promise us a, a, trouble-free, a trouble-free life, but He promises us Himself. Now, God is king even over our troubles because our troubles are not outside of His care and control. You know, the psalmist recognizes God's sovereignty over his life, even over his trials. In verse 18, he describes his trials as the Lord's discipline. So, so they are brought into his life by God to grow him. And if we are God's children, then our loving Father uses the difficulties in our lives to purify us and to teach us faith, patience, and endurance. His discipline is measured and merciful, not, not meant to crush us, not meant to break us completely, but to strengthen us. That's what this psalmist sees in verse 18. 
A third encouragement from this psalm, the third and final encouragement, is the rejected one becomes our exalted king. You know, in, in, in verses 19 to 24, the, the scene changes in this psalm. You know, this psalmist has praised and thanked God for saving him. And now in verses 19 to 24, the, the scene is that of a victory parade. And this victory parade is going up to the temple of the Lord. And the psalmist reaches the gate of the temple and he cries out, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. You know, if you were here last Sunday when Pastor Ian preached, this sounds a lot like Psalm 24. Right? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the temple represented God's throne and His dwelling place among His people. This is where God is with His people. So who can come into the temple? Who can come into the presence of the Lord? As we heard from Psalm 24 last week, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, only those who are righteous can enter through the gates of righteousness. And according to Psalm 118, what is righteousness? Righteousness means to trust in God. Righteousness means to trust that this is the God who saves. Salvation belongs to Him. That's what righteousness looks like in Psalm 118, to perfectly trust in this God who saves. None of us, friends, none of us have perfectly trusted in God in this way. None of us have, have lived up to the words of Psalm 118. None of us have said these things with wholehearted zeal. Yes, I trust you perfectly. So how can we draw near to a perfectly holy God if we ourselves haven't trusted in God in this way? You know, when I was uh, working as a journalist before I became a pastor, you know, there were some trips, work trips that I did with, uh, you know, with sort of like ministers and you know, important people. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you are in the, in the retinue of, of these important people, you get access, right? You get into airport lounges, you, you, you skip traffic, you, you get into a convoy and you just get to your destination really, really quickly. Why? Because you're with this really important person. He gives you access, right? If, if someone stops you, you, all you need to say is, oh, I'm with him. <laughs> I'm with him. You know, I can come because I'm with him. That's exactly what's happening here in the Psalm 118. How do we come into the temple? How do we get access? We're going to say, I'm, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with this righteous king who opens the gate for us to enter. Who is this righteous king? The rest of Psalm 118 tells us he's a king who suffers, surprisingly. He's a king who suffers. Yet he trusts in God, who saves him, and this king gives, and, and God gives this king victory over his enemies. This king was the stone that the builders rejected, but God exalted him to a position of glory as the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, we know, is the most important stone in the building's foundation. The whole building will fall apart without the cornerstone. And this king is now the most important part of God's house, the cornerstone. 
And on the evening that Jesus was betrayed, like a good Jew, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And as, as Jewish custom would have it, uh, they sang a hymn. They, they sang a couple of hymns before they finished the meal. Matthew 26, verse 30 says they sang a hymn. So what hymn would they have sung? Probably Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So it's likely that the final hymn that Jesus sung before he went out and was arrested and went to the cross was a Psalm 118. And, and indeed, he was singing not just about David, but he was singing about himself, this righteous sufferer. He, these words in Psalm 118 applied to him. He was singing about what would happen to him. In, in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, in, in one of Peter's statements to the Jewish leaders, this is what he says. Peter gives us the interpretation of Psalm 118. Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, Jesus is the cornerstone mentioned in Psalm 118. This psalm is ultimately about Him. Why do we need salvation? Because we've all rejected Jesus. In fact, we've also rejected others in unloving ways. You know, we're not, we haven't just suffered rejection ourselves. We have also had a part in rejecting other people. We've been unloving towards other people. And most seriously of all, we've rejected the Son himself, Jesus. We've trusted in ourselves. We've lived for ourselves. We've made our lives about ourselves. And we've rejected the cornerstone, the one who should have been the foundation for our lives. But the good news is that God did not leave us in our sin. Friends, Jesus is the humble servant king. He is fully God, yet he humbled himself and became man. And he came to live among us, to suffer with us and to suffer for us. Men and women rejected him. He was betrayed by one of his closer friends. Jesus was even forsaken by God when he took on himself God's judgment against sin. But all through that life of suffering and rejection, he trusted God. He obeyed God. And Jesus is the only one who truly lives up to the words of a psalm 118, he is the only one who perfectly trusts in God in this way. And because of this, God raised Jesus up from the dead and glorified him as king forever. And God has accomplished through Jesus the greatest turnaround story of all time. You want a good turnaround story? This is it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by believing in him, he was rejected so that we can be accepted. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6 says, as we, as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, we ourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, this, this is why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus is the King who can turn our lives around. He is powerful to save. As this, as this psalm says, this is the Lord's doing. It's not our work. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. And this King calls us to come to Him now because today is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day of salvation. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today, friends, we can know Christ and find in Him new life as we turn away from our sins and put our confidence in Him. He can be our cornerstone, the unshakable foundation of our life. No, make, take verse 25 and make it our prayer. Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. May that be our prayer this Christmas time. Friends, Jesus <clears throat> is our trailblazer. He goes ahead of us to walk the path of rejection, suffering, and then glory. <coughs> and in him we can say the words of Psalm of, of verse 27 to 28. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And he calls us to walk in his footsteps, to suffer with him and to share in suffering with him and to rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings because we know that we will also be glad when his glory is revealed. Friends, we will face rejection now. We will face difficulty for the sake of God's kingdom. But if we share in Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his glory. Psalm 118 is true of us because it is first true of Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we can take these words of Psalm 118 and make them our own because we follow this King. Friends, Jesus is the King of turnarounds. He offers himself to us. Will we make him our cornerstone. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise. Father, we thank you because you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we thank you that in Christ we can come to you and say the words of this psalm and, and truly mean it. Because what is true here is true of Christ. And if we are in him, we can confidently say that your light shines on us, that we belong to you as your people, and that Christ is ours. So Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts powerfully by your Spirit. Father, even now we pray that we would come to you, that we would draw near to you, draw near to Christ. Father, you know our hearts. You, you know all the things that we trust in. Father, we pray that you would help us to repent, help us to turn away from uh, false confidence, help us to turn away from uh, any other thing that is not worthy of our trust. 
But Father, help us to know Jesus more and more, to behold Him in His glory, to see that He Himself is good and He alone is worthy of our confidence. Father, as we enter into this Christmas time, Father, we pray that we would not leave this Christmas season without a personal knowledge of the Saviour. So draw us to your Son, we pray. Father, help us to find true life in Him. Move us by your Spirit. Father, we ask these things for the glory of your name so that Christ would be exalted among us so that we would reflect Him in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Indeed, let us rise together and sing the song of response, Cornerstone.
pastors here at the front. There will be elders at each door. If you need prayer, I want to invite you just go to one of us and we will be delighted to pray for you. As we close our time, let's hear the benediction. Uh, Father God, what an extraordinary reminder. You are the God who is on our side. We're grateful that in times of distress, when we are pushed hard, when we feel on the verge of collapse, you can be an extraordinary refuge. You are the exalted king, and you this Christmas are on our side. So because, Lord, you are able to keep us from falling, because you present us without fault and with great joy. To you we give all honor and glory, power and authority on this day forevermore. Amen. God bless you. After a moment of quiet reflection, you are dismissed. <laughs>